When Jesus said that no one knows, what exactly did he mean? Although clearly communicated, this has caused considerable confusion within the body of Christ. For some, it's a closed case. For others, a clue. Careful that in end-time discussions about knowing or not knowing, we do not end up missing what we all must know. Hi, this is Hansen from Archippus Awakening, a ministry dedicated to the awakening of the saints that we may know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. And this is what Kingdom 101 is about. We revisit kingdom fundamentals to know Jesus our King, to embrace His kingdom that we may receive and move on kingdom assignments according to His kingdom ways. Will you join me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, thank you for your word and most of all, the word of the kingdom, as well as of our King Jesus. Holy Spirit, come teach us so that we may understand and then to live this out. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been working our way through Jesus' fifth kingdom discourse in the Gospel of Matthew. This final discourse is about kingdom readiness, or more specifically, readiness for the return of the King. Although much of the material focuses on the eschatological backdrop, we must be reminded that kingdom readiness cannot be understood or achieved apart from the other four discourses. Kingdom readiness is entirely premised upon kingdom ways, kingdom assignments, kingdom wisdom, and kingdom relationships. In Matthew 23, Jesus exposes how these were entirely missed and exhorts us not to commit the same mistakes as the religious leaders and system of his day. Predicting the end of the temple and the system, hinting at the restoration of the kingdom, that prompted the disciples to ask about what to look out for and when that would take place. Tell us, Jesus, when will these things be? and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. In reply, Jesus paints the eschatological backdrop for them and for us. Much of Matthew 24 has been about how challenging it would be for followers of Jesus. And then a short summary, a word of encouragement, comfort and hope through the parable of the fig tree. When times get tough, know that it won't be long. I'm coming soon. Trust me. Soon? How soon? Most naturally, the question in the hearts and minds of the disciples would be, when? When exactly are you returning, Jesus? You may be asking the same question too. Well, let's read Matthew 24, 36 to 44 and see what Jesus says. But of that day and hour, no one knows not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. 
Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Did you get Jesus' answer? Just look at the repeated words and phrases. No one knows. Did not know. You do not know. You do not expect. I don't know how much clearer Jesus can be, or how much simpler or plainer He can make it. Even so, as diligent students of the Word, let's dive more deeply to better understand the Lord's reply and more critically, His instructions, so that we do not miss what He wants all of us to know. Let's read Matthew 24, verse 36 again. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Look at that phrase, that day and hour. If we understand this literally and look at the significance of these words, that day refers to the day of the Lord. It was a day which every Jew would look forward to, a day of judgment, even a day of terror, but also of restoration and of restitution. And of that hour, that refers to the horrors, that exact moment that that day would appear. Let's consider that phrase. Of that day and of that hour, no one knows. Now, this is a figure of speech, and quickly you can identify it related to a Jewish wedding. Now, a bridegroom would wait for the father's timing as well as the instruction. If you would ask him when would be the time of the wedding, he would say, I don't know, you've got to ask my father. In other words, he's saying, when the time is right, it will happen, it will be revealed, and I don't need to know, only my father would give that instruction. A second picture would be about the Feast of Trumpets, or Yom Teruah, the day of the trumpet blast. This is also known as the Moed, the appointed feast or time, that no one knows the day and hour of. There was actually no start date. And it only begins when two witnesses will see the edge of the moon and report it to the Sanhedrin and then they will announce that day. Now this is celebrated usually over a two-day period so that we can allow for the uncertainty of when the first day of the seventh month is. Now that was then, but today there's no uncertainty because you can predict actually exactly when the moon is going to appear. So understanding the figure of speech, this phrase actually refers more to a state of readiness and preparedness for when it finally happens, than for one to be preoccupied with when it may actually take place. By the time the day arrives, there's no more time or opportunity to be ready for it. And so I believe this is what Jesus wants all to know, that all must know. And so he says that no one knows so that we can focus on to be ready as well as to be prepared. But just because we do not know the day or the hour, can we know or can we be aware of the times and the seasons? Well, Paul seems to suggest this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. 
Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Well, others may be surprised and they may be caught unawares, but we, we are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake us as a thief in chapter 5 verse 4. In other words, we can and should always be aware of the times and the seasons as well as to discern these rightly. Jesus himself, in sharing the parable of the fig tree, said this, that when you see all these things take place, the abomination of desolation, great tribulation, false crisis appearing, then it is near. But what exactly do the leaves of the fig tree refer to? And we've covered this that some believe it's the birth of modern Israel, so they begin tracking the incidents and the happenings of modern Israel. And to discern these more closely, many also begin to track Daniel's prophecy of the 70th week. And they expect that there will be a peace treaty or a covenant that will be made with Israel by the Antichrist. And then we can count down to trigger the seven-year countdown to the end of the age or Jesus' coming. Now in the middle, there will be a breaking of this covenant, a desecration of the temple. And if that's the case, then three and a half years is another marker that we can count down. Then today, what's very popular is the seventh day or the third day predictions. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, if one day is a thousand, and God created everything in six days, then there will be 6,000 years of human history. Now, on the seventh day, God rested. So you have 6,000 years of human history, 4,000 BC, 2,000 AD. Now, that means it points to the last day where God rests, and that's the last 1,000 years, which would point to the millennial rule and reign of the kingdom of God. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, after two days, He will revive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Well, after two days, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus, which means on the third day when he comes, he will raise us up and we will be resurrected to live in the kingdom of God 1,000 years. So many are now counting from the time of Jesus' resurrection or ascension, and they date it to about 30 AD or 33 AD. As such, many are talking that Jesus will be returning in the year 2030 or perhaps 2033, and most likely, again, during the Feast of Trumpets because of that phrase of that day and that hour, no one knows. Well, I'll leave you to discern and to decide. Personally, I have no issue with being aware of the signs and the times, and I think we must, so that we can discern as carefully and rightly as possible. However, I can't help but notice and observe again that in noting the times and the seasons, many end up year-guessing or year-setting again. Since we can't know the day or the hour, we look for something else. Now, we have to ask, is this really Jesus' intent? Or does this distract us once more from what Jesus truly wants us to know? You have to think about this for yourself. 
I believe, you know, we think that if we knew, we would then live more circumspectly and be more prepared. Really? Well, the truth is, I don't know about you, but if I knew, I would most likely wait until the last moment. You know, back in the army, when we were given time off over the weekend and we have to go back to camp, we had to book in by a certain time, two, three, five, nine hours just before midnight. Many of us would wait until the last moment before we would check in or book in again. And even we knew this thing, some would still miss it and then suffer the consequences. I believe Jesus knows that if we knew when he was returning or when our last breath or our last day would be, then we would wait until the last moment. And so instead, Jesus lets us know a whole lot of what we need to know how it will be before his return, except what we want to know, which means the exact time or even around there of his return. But you see, trust us to always focus on the wrong thing. Just like in the garden, think back, Adam and Eve were allowed to eat of every tree, but still chose to eat of that one tree that they were told not to eat from. Of course, we know that the devil deceived and tempted them. Now, in the same way, can we say that all attempts to set dates and to distract us from what we need to be doing is likewise, possibly, very possibly, deceptive and demonic. So let's stop being distracted by what we do not know or are trying to know. Let's move with what we know and must know. Now we will see that the focus of this passage is not knowing when Jesus will return, but that all must know how to be ready and prepared for His return. This, I believe, is the main point of this passage. Readiness and preparedness is characterized by watchfulness that leads to faithfulness. And to make this point very, very clear, Jesus provides two illustrations. Let's look at the first one, about Noah and the flood. Let's read Matthew 24, 37 to 39 again. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, what was it like in the days of Noah? We know from Genesis chapter 6 that the earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Does it not describe the present evil age? Remember, the wicked and adulterous generation. And this reminds us as we look around us, we see corruption, we see violence, we see the same evil. That phrase, as in the days before the flood, describes the times before Jesus' return. Now people will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, which means they are going about life just as usual as per normal. But eating and drinking is also a phrase used to describe sinful and idolatrous living. Now be careful, you might think that this is talking about the world, but this was used to describe God's own people, Israel. In Exodus 32, verses 6 to 8, we are told that they rose early 
and they were giving burnt offerings as well as peace offerings and then they sat down to eat and drink and rose to play. Sounds really good. But the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because these guys have corrupted themselves. And what they have done is that they have built a golden calf, they have worshipped it and they now sacrifice to it. A picture of idolatry as well as sinful living. In fact, to rise to play and to eat and drink talks about debauchery, about orgies that they would have learned in the land of Egypt. Just in case you think it's about the Old Testament, this exact example was quoted by Paul in the New Testament as a warning to the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7, he says, Do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. But the main point in this passage and illustration is that many will be oblivious to a coming flood or a coming judgment until it happens, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came, and the flood took them all away. Now, in the same way, many will be oblivious and also distracted, going about life as usual in sinful and idolatrous living, with no regard to the things of God. It can apply to the people of the world. It can apply to the people of the church. And that will happen until the Son of Man appears in the clouds, until the day of the Lord. Now this illustration then zooms into two categories of people in verse 40 and 41. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. And two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and the other left. Working in the field, grinding at the mill, describes the daily routines of life and just going to work. It also talks about the closeness of colleagues, of family, perhaps also of friends. Now, there are two categories. It doesn't mean that you know, one will be taken and one left, that it refers to 50%, you know, half of humanity, just like in the Marvel movie, when Thanos snapped his fingers and half of the world just disappeared. It refers to two categories of people. And clearly, it speaks of the righteous and the wicked. In fact, the four parables that come after this passage all involve two categories of people. As a faithful servant, an evil servant. There are wise virgins and foolish virgins, uh, profitable servants, as well as those who are unprofitable, and then the sheep and the goats. So the question we have to ask is, so which is taken and which is left? What does taken mean? The Greek verb actually means to take near to oneself. Or well, the question is, to take near or take to what? To judgment? Or is it to take near to God himself, a gathering of the elect? Well, it can refer to the saints being gathered because other passages do allude to that. And because of this, some have applied this to the secret rapture where others are then left behind. However, we have already determined that Jesus' coming, as well as the meeting Him in the clouds, i.e. the rapture, they all happen at the same time. And this will be quick, it will be public, and it will be obvious. Now this term taken can also be used 
not favorably, but negatively. Like in Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 and 8, Satan took Jesus to tempt him. Same word. Or in John chapter 19, verse 16, they took Jesus away to be crucified. If we read this in context, and if we parallel it with the flood that came and took everyone away, then this most likely refers to the removal of this present evil age to judgment. Well, in any case, let's not argue about this. The main point here again is the unexpectedness and the suddenness of Jesus' return and then the separation that takes place. The more critical question is not so much what taken or left means or who is taken or left, but which of the two categories do you belong to? Because there's no middle ground. And so Jesus tells us that the right response is therefore to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And this is what all must know. There's no middle ground, there are no presumptions, and there's no taking for granted. Readiness and preparedness is characterized by watchfulness that leads to faithfulness. All must know this. And to explain this, Jesus then proceeds to share a second illustration about the housemaster and the thief. Let's now read Matthew 24, verse 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. I love the words that Jesus used to begin. Now know this. Do you think that might have been a play on words by Jesus? It reminds us to know what we need to know and not try to know what we do not need to know. In other words, don't miss this. All must know. Now, the image of the thief in the Old Testament, it was actually a prophetic language that describes divine judgment. We see in Jeremiah 49, verses 9 and 10, the prophet used this to describe, to say that the thieves would take a lot of things, but what the thieves would take is actually nothing compared to the severity of God's judgment. Well, the coming of Jesus is parallel with and likened to the coming of a thief. Well, we know that Jesus is not the thief. It is his coming that's described as the coming of a thief. Unexpected, sudden, when people are not watching, when they are fast asleep. Look at Revelation 16, verse 15. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. This word watch, watch borrows the image of a night watchman at his post, to stand guard, to be awake, to be alert. Now, are we supposed to be watching out for a thief? Well, I guess so in this understanding. But more critically, this person is watching out and the Lord says that you may keep your garments. We are watching, we are guarding to keep our garments, which can be stolen perhaps, and that our nakedness be revealed. Now, nakedness always refers to sin and to unrighteousness. 
we have to watch and guard the holiness and righteousness which, which we have been so graciously clothed with. And how? By living holy and righteous. Now, what else can we be robbed of? Now, against the eschatological backdrop of deception, this would suggest a guarding against false Christs, false prophets, false teachings that would rob us or cheat us of what we have in Christ. Hence, the repeated warnings to be watchful, to be alert, disciplined, and sober. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. And Paul says, For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And so what's the response that is expected of us? To set dates and the years? No. He says in verse 6, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Wake up, be alert, be of sound mind. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And again, what is the response expected of God's people? To set dates and years? No. If you read the context, it was a call to holy conduct and godliness. God's seeming delay is for all to repent, to turn and to return to Him, to be awakened, aligned as well as assigned. This is not just for pre-believers. These are words to believers specifically. Now, Jesus had very harsh words for the church in Sardis. Now, this church had a reputation of being alive, but was dead. And He warns them, He tells them in verse 2 and 3 of Revelation 3, be watchful, be awake, wake up, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Therefore, I tell you, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. You have to be alert. You need to know what you need to know because all must know. And so he closes the illustration with these words in verse 44. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. In the same way that the master of the house keeps watch and is thus ready for the coming of the thief, we are also to be watchful so that we can be ready for the coming of the Lord. Readiness is not determined by how accurately you can prophesy or postulate and predict the year, month, day, hour, minute, moment of Jesus' return. Perhaps in a visual and a social media environment, we have entirely missed what watching is all about. We are watching and looking and seeing everything online and on-site and yet not seeing anything. We are seeing but not seeing, hearing but we are not hearing. We have no discernment or understanding. Friends, this is what all must know. Readiness and preparedness is characterized by watchfulness that leads to faithfulness. So how ready are we? How ready are you? Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying. I hope you're getting the big picture and the main idea. Everyone needs to know and must know how to be ready and prepared. In Archippus Awakening, we express this in three key words. Awakened, aligned, and assigned. 
Firstly, there has to be an awakening. We have to wake up. The word watch is better translated to be awake, be alert, not to be asleep. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And my dear brothers and sisters, you can't watch with your eyes closed. Sadly, too many are asleep in our churches, unaware of what is happening as well as the signs of the times. Many are lulled into institutional and organized religion. Please be careful. Looking forward to Jesus' return is very different from living in light of His coming return. Hence, the Lord's instruction to awaken the saints through this 11th hour message of Archippus' awakening, to be ready for the soon coming of the Lord. And by this, we are not saying that we know when He will come. We are doing what we can to help one another be ready and prepared for when He does come. And for that, we have to be awake. And also, we have to stay awake. An awareness of the awakening context and the eschatological backdrop will help us to stay awake. It enables us to discern and to move with God's kairos. And that's how the apostles and the disciples lived in their time. They did not waste any moment and any time. They were very clear. Now, conversely, missing the context and the significance of the signs of the times will cause one to fall back into slumber. Life as usual, busy, busy, busy. And sadly, this is what's happening in the body of Christ. I believe many are awakened and have been awakened by the many messages, the camps that we attend, seminars, and so many good conferences. But without an appreciation and understanding of what is happening, what is required, too many go back to sleep again. It's time to wake up and wise up to the times. All must be awakened so that all will know what is expected of them. Let us encourage one another to stay awake, that we can be alert to watch and be ready for the coming of the Lord. After the awakening comes aligning. When we are awakened and our eyes are opened by the Lord to see more clearly, we will begin to notice the different aspects of our lives that require attention and adjustment. Alignment with Jesus and His kingdom. The more we watch and pray, the more the Lord will reveal these misalignments and show us how we are to realign with Him. And so let's be watchful, let's look out for and let's guard against careless and aimless living. In Luke 21 verses 34 to 36, Jesus says, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and the cares of this life, that the day comes on you unexpectedly. Friends, there are more than enough things to distract us from Jesus and the purposes of the kingdom. The life that we live, the work that we run to, the, our marriages, our families, our hobbies, careless living, carefree living, sinful living, living for ourselves only, and Jesus is confined only to Sunday services only. And even for church, we can be busy with churchy and Christian-y stuff until we have no time for God or to pray and seek Him for what He really wants us to do. 
Now all these are snares that will trap and hold us back from truly loving and serving Jesus. We will be caught off guard when He finally comes, and we won't be able to give account when we stand before the Son of Man. But those who are awake will want to realign their priorities and lives so that they will live purposefully for Jesus and His kingdom. Next, we have got to watch and guard against false and deceptive teachings. In Matthew 24, Jesus warns repeatedly against false Christs, false prophets, false teaching, and how so many will be deceived. Those who are asleep are easily deceived and distracted and will be led astray. Make sure you are awake and also aligned. Now, those who don't know the Word of God will also be led astray. Now, many will use and twist scriptures to distract and deceive even the people of God, the elect. Paul prophesied that in the last days, many will have itching ears and will only listen to what they want to listen to. Make sure you're aligned with Jesus and the word of His kingdom. And finally, watch and guard your heart and your walk. If you're awake, then you will not be aligned with the ways of the world, but the ways of God. For that, as you are awakened, be aligned. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. In that, be sober and be very, very alert. Don't neglect this great gift of salvation that we've been given. God, hold fast to what we have in Christ. Do not be cheated. Do not be robbed. Don't let anything be stolen. Understand that our response, if we are awakened and if we are aligned, then we are to have holy conduct and godly living out of the fear of the Lord. All must know that it is not church membership or attendance that prepares us for the coming of Jesus. All must know that we need to be awake, to be aligned, that we must be faithful in what the Lord has assigned to us. After awakening comes aligning. And as we focus on the aligning, God will do the assigning. And the more aligned we are with the heart of the King, the clearer we will be with the purposes of the King and His Kingdom. This leads to knowing and fulfilling Kingdom assignments. When talking about end times, we are to discern, but not to be distracted by the signs and the times, so that we can be fully engaged in our assigned tasks. In the days of Noah, Noah's one assignment was to build the ark. Noah was also called a preacher of righteousness in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You see, his kingdom assignment became a platform and a vehicle for him to declare righteousness as well as, I believe, also to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. In Mark chapter 13, verses 32 to 37, Jesus says the same thing. After telling the disciples that they will not know when the coming will be, they are to watch and pray. Then he says, It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and then commanded the doorkeeper to watch. See, the servants were given work, each one, assigned tasks, kingdom assignments. 
And the doorkeeper's assignment was to watch, to be alert, and to be on guard. In Colossians 4.17, Paul says to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. All must know and must fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. Because every kingdom assignment declares the good news of Jesus and His kingdom. And because all must know that salvation and righteousness is only possible by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Against the backdrop of evil and of trouble, we must declare this good news of the kingdom. And the Lord says to everyone, What I say to you, I say to all, Watch, watch. Watchfulness is an attitude and posture for all as we go about our kingdom assignments. Watchfulness and faithfulness go together. Missing this will result again in misalignment and slumber. This is what everyone needs to know. All must know. Readiness and preparedness is characterized by watchfulness that leads to faithfulness. All must know. As we close this teaching, let me remind you once more. Jesus' fifth and final discourse is about kingdom readiness. Readiness for the return of the king. His return will be sudden and unexpected. No one knows when exactly. And yet it is amazing how many have claimed to know, only to be proven wrong over and over again. And what is even more amazing is the number of people who believe these who claim to know. No wonder Jesus had to emphasize the same point so many times, with so many different examples. Clearly, we are not called to determine the day or the hour, but to discern the times and the seasons. And again, this is not permission to set or track dates or years of when Jesus will return, but that we may be ready and prepared for when He does return. And readiness and preparedness is not defined by how closely we guess the timing of Jesus' coming. There are no prizes for that at all. What is more important is how we live knowing that Jesus will return and when He returns, how we will give account for how we have lived. In our end-time discussions and debates about knowing or not knowing, let us not miss what Jesus really wants us to know. Everyone needs to know. All must know. Readiness and preparedness is characterized by watchfulness that leads to faithfulness. All must know that it's more than just about a sinner's prayer or church attendance. All must know that readiness and preparedness involves being awake, being watchful, alert, focused, disciplined and obedient, to be awakened, aligned and assigned. In every illustration or parable, Jesus repeatedly talks about two categories of people. And this means that when He finally returns, we are either ready or not. No in-betweens, no middle ground. All must know. I know you want to be in the right category. Me too. So let's remind and encourage one another to be awake and to stay awake, to be aligned with Jesus so that we can know and fulfill our kingdom assignments for His glory. 
readiness and preparedness is characterized by watchfulness that leads to faithfulness. All must know. Do you know? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for speaking so clearly. Lord, I thank you that the word has also been recorded so clearly for us. Holy Spirit, open our eyes so that we can see. Open our ears so that we can hear. And may our hearts respond in a correct manner so that we can be ready and prepared for your soon coming. Help us, Lord. Enable us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me for another Kingdom 101 teaching. For past teachings, visit our website, kingdom101.rkeepersawakening.org. Until the next time, this is Hanson signing off. Stay awakened, aligned, and assigned. God bless you.